Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast featuring best coach in the world, Andy. Hi. Bonjour. How are we? Did you like that introduction? I did. I did. I'm, I'm being modest and just playing it down. Yeah. Oh, hey. I'm, people always refer to me as the best coach in the world. It's, just, it's, it's, one, of these, it's one of these titles, isn't it? <laughs> right. We're going to get straight to it. In fact, how's your week been? We haven't spoken since the news of the gyms. Yeah, no, it's been pretty good. Just been getting everything ready or in readiness for getting back to work on Monday in the studio, which is good. We had everything really sorted um, prior to lockdown anyway, so it's just making sure everything's going to run smoothly. Exciting. Yeah, so it's not too bad. Okay, first question. This is one more for you, I think. I was, although I have a cue that really works for me. So I was going to ask if you had any top coaching cues for driving up out of the squat. I always keep thinking, keeping my knees pushed out and I get lazy the heavier I get. But I was wondering if there is any, any other sort of top cues that you have. Um, there's a couple that I use are, well, starting from the top point of a squat, bracing the core um, as you're starting to sink in knees away from hips so knees out and away um at the bottom i like people think about engaging the glutes as they're driving off out of the hole um two little foot things that i use for a bottom of a squat is number one is like trying to rotate your feet outwards so dig your heels as if you're trying to drag your heels together but like so, uh, um wizard and oz wizard of oz when you try to pull your heels together um that'll keep your knees out uh, and the other thing as well is if you start to see things like, you know, you see um, knees caving inwards, that sort of dip of the knees. If you think about it at the bottom of a squat, imagine that you're gripping your toes into the floor. So imagine you're trying to pick a biro up with your toes. And what that does is it just tightens all the, the ligaments and tendons around the knees and stops the caving of the knees. Uh, it also helps engage your glutes a bit more as well. So, um, And then on the way back up, as you get to the top, it's all about driving from the glutes. Um, but not driving your glutes through at the top. You want to lock your glutes engaged, but you don't want to overextend so that you put the weight onto your lower back. Um, but it's generally pretty simple. But again, it's it's something that you could be we could be here for months discussing cues for squats, and um, and you would it just needs something that needs to resonate with you. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Like what I found always really worked for me was thinking about pushing my hips forward. You know, so you yep. don't like leave them behind, and so that your bum you don't like pull your bum up and then your back's going forward so I always yeah. just thought about driving from the bottom like driving my hips up and through and that always just sort of seemed to work for me and I didn't really think about the other things the other thing is I think so as Andy's saying find something that resonates with you but probably one of the things Andy has said if you're thinking right do this then this then this then this and then I've got to do yeah. this, it's too much to think about in one go so like nail one of them okay so now I always I don't know drive my hips through now yep. let me think about maybe pushing my knees out. Like, even though actually normally once you nail one of them, the rest sort of fall into place a little bit. But what I wouldn't do is try and think about everything at the same time because you that just ain't going to end well. Yeah. You need a lot of proprioception as well. Like, it's yeah. how it feels a bit. And if you're thinking too much about different cues, it like the movement doesn't flow very well. Exactly. I think um, one thing I wouldn't say about a squat is, is that the the thing I always see is which is like one of the ones that I always try and pick out of is people they have the wrong 
um, they have the wrong tempo down bottom to top. So on the way down, you need to keep the bar under control. So that bar should be fully controlled. On the way back out of the hole, from the way back up, imagine that you're trying to jump. So you're trying to get yourself off. <laughs> Sorry, the when you say back out of the hole, I'm always like. Well, that's after your little. I always path. think it finishing yourself off. <laughs> no, I was. I always think about a little mole coming out of the hole. Or a gopher. What's a gopher? Is that the thing that you whack? That's uh yeah, that's a, that's a. But yeah. you're not supposed to whack them. They're actually real animals. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like on that game, it's like whack yeah. the. No, it's whack a mole, is it? No, it's not whack a gopher. Oh right, what's the f- what's a gopher? A gopher is like one of these ones. It's a, it looks like a little bit like a squirrel that lives under the ground without the big tail, and they're slightly bigger. Huh. All right. Okay. Right. Sorry. Continue the point that you're making. Yeah, but if if you think about like you see so many people when they squat like dropping like a stone, and then that's where everything goes wrong because the whole physics of a squat is that you're trying to stay under control, and the slower the bar is going, the easier it is to change direction. So if you're having to go fast, if you're going fast on the way down, what you find is you have to be super strong to, to stop the movement at the bottom of the squat and then change the direction. Whereas if you go slower on the way down, fire back out fast, that's going to be a better tempo for a squat. Guys, it's not a slut drop. No. It's a controlled lowering phase. And then you can drive up out of that hole. Uh, like the mole that you are. <laughs> okay. Strange question, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to explain it properly. Um, Is this just a weird mental barrier or possibly self-sabotage? A few weeks ago, when I was feeling amazing, I was 51 kilograms in my new bikini, smashing 12,000 steps every day, running, lifting, feeling great, in brackets, just writing this down makes me feel motivated. Felt like this is the new me now. There is... That this is my new normal life and I'm really proud of myself and happy. Then I went on a staycation, had dinner and breakfast off plan, didn't particularly feel like chucking it in the fuck it bucket, but there's a strange part of my brain that almost goads me into, do you, do you think you even need to do all that hard work? You, aren't work, um, you weren't working that hard and you seem pretty happy with how you look now. Uh... And I kind of wrongly reflect and think, yeah, I wasn't putting that much effort in. Maybe this is just me now and I'll just go back to how things were before and be able to stay the same, which obviously doesn't happen. Is it just a case of mind over matter? Is this self-sabotage? I don't understand it. I've definitely felt like this before. Like I get to a milestone and then I take my foot off the pedal instead of feeling great and using that to push me onto the next target. Oh, sorry. I take my foot off the pedal, comma, instead of feeling great and pushing myself onto the next target. Is this a thing? I'm trying to understand what it is so I can push through it next time instead of the constant two steps forward, one step back. Um, it does sound like the, the, the start of self-sabotage. It's where you're starting to sort of doubt what you've been doing. Um, but self-sabotage then obviously means that you need to go back to reverting to what you were doing previously and then sort of like maybe eating crap and not training which you obviously haven't done you've noted this down you've 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 um worked out 
potentially worked out what the trigger is, is when you start to feel good about yourself, which is not, you know, that's not a bad thing. You know, if everybody wants to feel good about themselves. You know, that's, that's it's pretty much why I train nowadays. My training's about vanity. It's nothing about, you know, performance for me is not out the window nowadays. Um, so feeling good about yourself is not a bad thing. But I think it's, there's been quite a few of these things popped up on the group over the past sort of week about people getting this sort of, oh, you're doing so well, but don't go too far. It sounds like it's kind of happening. You're doing it to yourself. You're going, oh, I'm looking great, but, you know, I don't need to do it. It's just a, it's a case of switching that headset. And when you start to feel like that, note down why you or when you felt like that and the thought pattern that you've been gone through and then wipe it out and that's it, you know, cross it off, right, we're past that, don't need to worry about that anymore, what's the next goal? Um, you know, especially if you, you know, especially if you've been motivated by how you're looking in your bikini, perfect, you know, that's a, it's a great, it's a great, um, great judge of how the progression you're making. Yeah, I think I get where you're coming from because you're thinking like in your head, and this is where I want you to reframe a couple of things, so in your head you're like, I work my ass off to look like this and it is really hard to maintain. And I don't think it is. I don't think it has to be. And if you reframe it as like, so I know for a fact this client enjoys working out 90% of the time. She likes getting her steps in. Like even when you read the first part, yeah, I was working out, I was getting my steps in, I was lifting, I was feeling great. Hmm. You know, all this, you enjoy the process. And a lot of the time it's like we tell ourselves or even like fitness culture almost tells us like, it's the grind, it's getting in your steps, it's forcing yourself to work out, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. <laughs> like most of the time, like there's, whenever I talk about you need to do it when you're not motivated, for me, that's about 5% of the time. Yeah. Normally I'm motivated. I enjoy it. I like it. So does this client. But you sometimes give yourself this false like, this is so hard. I have to keep doing all these things. As soon as you tell yourself you have to do something, it becomes far less enjoyable. If you reframe it into, I get to work out today. I get yeah. to, my, like, to eat healthy, nutritious food that makes me feel good. I get to go out on a walk and get my steps in instead of I have to do those things. Like That one change in word reframes it completely. And even yeah. like, as, as I was reading this, I was thinking about because obviously I'm not exercising at all at the moment. Like I was thinking about how this is, could be viewed the same in terms of workload. So I work a hell of a lot, like a ridiculous amount, right? I love it. It doesn't, and, and when people are like, doesn't feel like work if you enjoy it. Sorry, it does. It does feel like work, okay? It is work, but I love it. And would I be doing it for less results? Yes, in, the, in this instance, like results would probably be money. Would I be doing the mm -hmm. same thing? Yes. Been doing it for less money for the last 10 years. Of course I would be doing it. Yep. I love doing it, right? And the same can be thought, like the kind of same is true for if you like exercising and, and how, like even think back to like how good you felt after a hard workout, how accomplished and satisfied you feel at the end of the day when you've hit your steps, you've hit your calories and focus on that rather than how much hard work it is to do that. I like hard work. Like hard work yep. is a good thing. Like what life would be boring without hard work. So yes. Yep. That, that would be my answer. Okay. So next part of this question is. Um, 
I love how I feel when I'm getting my workouts in and nailing nutrition. I honestly wake up feeling so good and go to bed happy, in control and loving the process. Um, so why is it that the crap food, the pizzas, the chips, the brownies are thought of as quote unquote treats? I know no food is good or bad. I get that. And I am going to feel utterly horrid after. Hmm, I get that sorry, comma. (laughs) And I know I'm going to feel utterly horrid after eating a pizza or brownie, too much chocolate, sugar, blah, blah, blah. So why do we do it to ourselves? Are we purely driven by the tastes of these things? Or is it that there is something more behind it? I guess it's because for some, I guess for some people, it's wine or a takeaway. Not many people wake up the next day thinking, I feel fabulous after eating slash drinking that. So why do we do it to ourselves? Um, you suppose you could look at it from a few point perspectives on this one. You know, the social side of stuff. You might be going out for dinner with friends and family, which is obviously a good thing. Um, the other stuff is things like the fact that that's hyper palatable. So the food is tasty. Like, so let's let's be fair. We've spoken about this regular occasions. You know, this whole thing about oh, you know, take away your chocolate cravings by eating a carrot go fuck yourself carrots don't taste like chocolate I don't yeah want guys you have to microwave them first obviously <laughs> i don't want a fucking carrot i want a dairy milk it's not the bloody same thing but yeah it's to do with taste like you know that's why you know that's why you can overeat on hyper palatable foods because it's your your mind and your taste buds and stuff love it so that you keep going um but it's, you know, I think a lot of the other stuff as well, like, you know, the social situation. So like you're going out for dinner or going out for drinks. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice atmosphere to be with people that you enjoy being with. So that whole sort of tie in together. Yeah. Um, I think a huge part of it is the like delayed reward aspect of it. So mm. it does, you, do you know what, when you're eating a brownie or you, when you get your takeaway, you're not thinking, oh, I might not appreciate the choice I've made today, tomorrow, because you're like, hmm, this smells and tastes amazing. I'm enjoying it at the time. So although you know that your future self might not thank you for it, I mean, like, drinking's the perfect example. No one wakes up feeling great after a night out. In fact, normally, not only are you hungover, but you have, like, the fear that you did something absolutely awful and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, why, why do people do it? And there are various reasons for that. In fact, that's probably less about, and maybe I'm just weird because I didn't like the taste of alcohol, but I don't think it's like, mmm, really love the taste. I think it's more like you enjoy the feeling of being drunk and and then it's like letting go and relaxing and numbing to some extent. I guess it depends how far you go. Like a couple of drinks might be relaxing, a couple more letting go, a couple more is like numbing your emotion. Um couple more puking all over your shoes <laughs> yeah a couple more just black out <laughs> andy and i one of them is like black out yeah. one i'd be one a, tequila a, down I'd, I, and it's not the te- tequila down you're actually face planted in front of everybody and we're <laughs> but yeah no i think it's you know you know i know we keep harp going back to alcohol but i think the alcohol thing's an interesting one just due to the fact that you know I've never, very, very few people I know who will go out and have a skin full of a drink and feel shit the next day and then have a salad. Mm. Oh, this this salad's going to cure my hangover, which is you probably what, going I just to need to soak up all the alcohol with this cucumber. 
Yeah, mm. I've got a cucumber and some carrots. Yeah, that's going to really overend the dominoes that I was going to order earlier. But uh, yeah, so. Yeah, okay. Right. I've got a couple of, in fact, let's go to the group questions. Right, so one group question number one. So it's kind of two people, two parts of the question. So we'd love to hear some chat on the perfect deadlift form, filmed ourselves deadlifting this morning compared to an online tutorial. I think we could improve a few things. What are the benefits or not of wearing a belt when deadlifting and squatting? Uh, and then the second part of that question is mentioned, it's mentioned online about not using wrist straps to help improve grip strength. Is this necessarily useful? So deadlift wise, the perfect deadlift technique probably doesn't exist unless you're doing submaximal weights. So if you're pushing yourself to aiming for failure or you know you're pushing your strength and you're pushing your your numbers up there's not going to be a perfect technique um, to hit with this stuff what you're looking for is you're looking for a strong strong form and form that you're not going to get injured in um, so benefits of wearing a belt everybody thinks that belts are designed to help your back they're not they're designed to help control your abdominal wall which in turn keeps your back from arching so using that to keep your core engaged to keep your back tight when you're deadlifting or squatting is good and it's the same thing as with the wrist straps a belt is not cheating wrist straps are not cheating i've never heard anybody who's trying to get body composition um being commented on how good their forearms look um if you are struggling to lift the weight off the deck whether it be rows whether it be something like a deadlift but you know, things like stiff leg deadlifts if you're doing hamstrings, use wrist straps because you're taking the grip out, which is the weak point of the exercise. Um, so you can, there's, there are also easier ways to train your grip than there are doing a heavy set of deadlifts without, without wrist straps. You know, things like heavy holds, just get the heaviest dumbbells you can hold and hold them for a while. You don't need to do it during your exercises where you're trying to um, better your body composition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've got much to add. But if like if you did really want to improve your grip strength, then as Andy's saying, use a grip strength exercise. Don't and then if you want to build your back, don't let grip, which is going to be a weak point, hold you back yeah. from pulling bigger weights. Also, as like um, a typical female, I guess like I don't want big forearms, and also no. I don't need like ridiculous. As long as I can carry my shopping home, like. I don't want or need ridiculous grip strength. And Emma, you I don't want big traps to help with the shop shopping. Those traps oh. are just a hench. Hench traps. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the one of the best things about, although I kind of miss it, but anyway, one of the best things about, like, at the moment, I can't do anything, is my dad and one of my friends just do all my shopping. Like, I just send them a list. I don't have to go into shops anymore. It's great. I don't know what. Because I know what online shopping's for. Yeah, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> That's been invented already. <laughs> yeah, but Although, your dad's going to do it online, for you. For online shopping, they go there and they're like, oh, there's, no, there's none of this butter, so we're going to get you some kefir or yogurt instead. It's like, it's not the same... It's not even the same... Yeah, it's not no, even a, it's not a substitute. Uh, yeah. One time my mum did it, and I think she wanted, like, chickpeas and stuff. And they just gave her baked beans. It's just not the same. Like, it isn't. I'm and for, I'm looking for tomatoes. Oh, here's some ketchup. Yeah. Thank you. Same it's got family. Laughing. <laughs> but yeah, it's too... Yeah, no. No, no. Plus, I don't know... Yeah. I guess I could order it online. But 
but it's great having get, someone just like you've got to get the parentals working you've got to get them working like my dad is going to come into my house while we're on this podcast drop off the shopping exactly they won't do that at tesco they won't put no. it in the cupboards that's just no. that's the service that they should provide yeah well also i don't know now i'm thinking about it, i'm like yeah that does make a lot of sense but like so my dad's been an absolute little hero in lockdown and he goes and does shopping every wednesday for like five or six like old people and uh but they're so specific they're like no i'd like you to go to like certain shops so it's like sainsbury's or someone else is like i want you to go to asda it's like all right cheese anyway and and apparently they're like really quite like i thought you're gonna be here at this time all right, do your favor. It's not an online service. I'm doing this yeah. at a good But then I'm like, why aren't they just ordering online? I don't yeah. quite understand. Or maybe he takes it inside. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does. Maybe it drops it off for the right in the door. I think like, initially, with... now I'm thinking about it. Initially, it was because like online was so booked out that you'd have to book. You know, when yeah. lockdown first happened, it was like, okay, we can deliver your shopping in three weeks, and you're like. Eh. We can deliver it in November. Well, thanks for that. That's yeah, great. Really Won't start yeah. before then. Okay. Have you got more questions? Yeah, there's quite a few. Um, what factors contribute to how a person responds to exercise? Are there factors that would mean some people build muscle more easily? Yes. On you go. You, you feel this? Yes, there are. There's quite a lot of... Um, genetic factors both in terms of your ability to build muscle and your ability to lose fat well not not so much your ability to lose fat like anyone can lose fat but maybe the ease at which you can lose fat um and how that looks on you as well so like if you're a shorter person having a certain amount of muscle will look like you're quite big you will notice that most male fitness models are about five Five foot ten or something like they're less than that well less whatever anyway they're much smaller than what what you expect like you rock up to body power and you're like okay so we're the same height that's interesting um (laughs) yeah so loads of things you also get exercise non-responders which is really quite interesting um it seems that and i haven't read this research for a while but there's like a molecular switch that like doesn't really happen in some people and so they don't get some of the benefits of exercise, which is very interesting. Uh, quite rare. And I know that listening to this, like people that are not exercise non-responders, that's, like, that's me. me. That's me. I never get any benefit of exercise. That's me with the bad genetics. <laughs> I, I, Babe, I it's that. not, right? It's, no, um, it's not. But yeah, there are, there are many factors. And, and even if you just look around, like you'll see that that's the case and some people build muscle more quickly than others and it can be things like your hormonal levels as well which again can be genetic or even things like if you have pcos although it can be harder to lose body fat it can actually be much easier to put on muscle mass because your natural levels of testosterone as a woman are higher and you'll get men that have higher levels of testosterone naturally which means that they are again better able to build muscle yep good um oh i listened to this podcast that um hannah recommended i listened to it was really interesting actually i don't know how this relates at all but i was just thinking of levels of um hormones and this is probably more one for the up close and personal train podcast but it was talking all about how people who transition so at a young age like decide 
I definitely want to be like if I decide I definitely want to be a man how doing Mm -hmm. that like from in many perspectives doing that younger if you know it's the right choice is better because you've not like if you've not gone through puberty then you haven't had a lot of the changes which occur to sort of mold you into a female as opposed to a male yeah um but then they were saying how like you can't change back after that like these are a lot of these things are irreversible so if at a young age which like and and why i so i replied to hannah i was like growing up i wanted to be a boy like a hundred percent wanted to be a boy what are you looking at <laughs> i think laura's trying she's going to the toilet Oh right. She's like, let's go. Am I making any noise? Oh, hi, Laura. Um, yeah. So at that age, I was like, I wanted to be a boy at that age. And like, if someone had been like, "Do you want to just be a boy?" I'd be like, "Yeah." I'm sure my parents would have been like, "Hold up, let's just see how long this phase lasts." But I think, I think it, is, it did make you think. Like, it's so dangerous. It's, a, it's such a it's such a minefield. Because I know recently that World, um, World Rugby have decided to take the stance of banning transgender males from playing female from playing female rugby, and in some ways, uh, you know, I to- unfortunately for me, I totally agree with that. If you have gone through puberty and then start to play female rug female rugby, the chant like the the percentages of um, extra percentage of being injured and hurting people is like through the roof. It's like literally, it's not even, it's not even like one or two percent. It's like forty percent, and that is massive. That leaves, you know, there's a lot of people who potentially could be really badly affected by this. Um, you know, but at the same point, you know, you sit and go, well, actually, you know, looking at it from the other side of stuff, you know, you've now sort of stop people from playing rugby so you know where does that's i think the biggest and to be fair i feel like in female rugby the lgbtq plus community make up quite a high percentage huge percentage of it and it's like but you know i think it's also as well like this whole stuff for me needs to be brought up and spoke about properly rather than i think this is the problem with the world at the moment is everybody's very polarized you're either extremely right wing or extremely left wing everybody needs to sit in the middle and have a, just a proper conversation about why these things need to be talked about. It's mm-hmm. like, um, what's who was the really famous um, female tennis player? Um, was it Navratilova? She's yeah, there she, was one, and I didn't even she, know. She spoke out about it, about the transgender, about the sort of trans male to play female tennis, and said that trans men coming to women's sport has got the biggest potential to destroy women's sport ever like it's going to finish women's sport and she got absolutely oh wait i thought you were saying she was trans <laughs> no 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 no. she was like she was she was obviously she no, was, right she okay was, she was i do um i do remember her coming out and saying that but i think even sometimes it's like so with this uh podcast i was listening to it, like she'd got a lot of hate like just for she basically got- just saying the, these and are she's the facts. more for the LGBTQ community in tennis than any other person. And she got absolutely pulled pillar to post for stating an opinion that she has. It's, it's her opinion. It's not At that time, it probably wasn't science. It was her opinion that she thought that it was going to ruin female women's tennis. And she was probably right, because if you look at the science now that um, the, rugby, the rugby guys have put out, the difference in power, the difference in strength, speed, physicality, 
is massive. Like you, it's not, as I say, it's not one or two percent. I think it's especially think- scary in rugby because it's like it's unfair, but it's also oh. unsafe. Like it's like yeah, yeah they're stronger. Moral to just go right. Well, I'm going to be. I'm going to become play rugby. Because you know, and as sad as that sounds, you know, and that's not being like like egotistical and like that. But I'm as a as a male, you've got that physicality. You're stronger. You're faster. You're able to take more able to take more punishment and it's just it's it's a touch just such a tough subject isn't it yeah there was a huge that huge lawsuit about Casta Semenya as well yeah and then the sad thing is is that she's that person that's in the gray area where she's obviously got because they worked out that she had both male and female um yeah uh, sort of reproductive organs so she is that gray area and unfortunately but the, that gray area is still such a small gray area it's still so small um you know so it's it's mm. a real difficult one to try and discuss especially when you've got so many people like just jumping on jumping on and just trying to kick fo- kick folk into the curb when they actually probably don't really know that much about it they're just fighting they're taking it aside and going for it it's the same with everything nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, you say one thing and it's like you're anti-trans, and it's like no, every like yeah. nobody cares. It's just we want safe and fair sport, I guess, in that respect. And no, then yeah, in the respect it. of um, like young people transitioning, like that's just terrifying. Because what if it was the wrong thing? And also, it's not just like oh, okay, well now you have to live your life as a male or a female that you weren't initially like going to be. Um, there's also huge health risks that come along with it. Like in terms of your yeah. risk of heart attack and things like it's not, it's not a safe thing to be messing around with. Right. Even no. if you look at like women going through menopause and the effects that has, and that's a natural yeah. process. Exactly. So. Ooh, okay. Um, I don't think that was the question, but. But we got the question answered <laughs> before we went off on a serious tangent. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm overthinking, but heard a lot of recommendations to eat carbs before a workout and protein afterwards. I've been training in them early and having a protein bar and coffee before training with an omelette afterwards. I feel well fueled. Is this sufficient? You've answered your own question. If you feel fueled, it's perfect. Um, there's no, you don't have to eat what, don't have to eat a certain something before training as long as you feel okay and you're recovering well enough. Um, yeah if it was like i mean the argument for that would be like if it's an endurance event or something yeah, yeah you might want to like carve up but even then like it has to be quite a long endurance event for you and at, like a high intensity for you to have like gone through all your glycogen stores and then need more carbohydrates and it depends why you're training like is it for performance is it for body composition it sounds like you're doing exactly the right thing and given you're in the commit six group i'm assuming it's for body composition. Exactly. Um, I think we've got two more on here. Uh, one, I know you've said a hundred times, but what exactly are they supposed to do? Do they do? I've seen many people drinking them on Instagram, promoting them, e.g. Courtney Black and Sarah Holden, but many people then going and buying them because they follow these people. If you meant to beep out people's names. All oh, right, sorry. And sorry, was that it? It paused because it said, "Was that ketone drinks?" Yeah. Um, BCAs. Oh, BCAs, right. 
ETAs, especially da, 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 we're not going that one, who recommended <laughs> all, all yeah. of her followers in a recent video. Somebody's actually put a second question or sort of certain point in there. I read the book Roar by Dr. Stacey Sims, who's a leading expert on female physiology and endurance training, and she advises to take BCAs before a workout run when you're in the luteal phase of your cycle to help mitigate the unpleasant effects of PMS. She says that the leucine crosses the blood-brain barrier and slows down the effect of serotonin and fends off central nervous system fatigue. I take BCAs before hard endurance runs in the second half of my cycle. It may be psychosomatic, but I don't, when I don't, my pace is always slower, heart rate a bit higher, and perceived effort much higher than when I do take them. So, BCAs. Yeah, I want to go through so many things there. Right, okay, so firstly, do you need BCAs? No. No. Um, I don't even know what else to say about them. Like, I think, I cannot understand how, like, given the evidence that is there one these people are still promoting them two there's like companies that are doing really well like who's uh like all the crossfit people are drinking it what's it called the can oh, i have no idea i don't really follow knocko knocko oh yes 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 and i'm like why i can't i like it does not equate to me plus we've spoken about this before but there's calories in it, like kind of like you could think of them as like a bit wasted calories. Like what's the point in drinking yeah. them? The way most people drink it as well, it's probably not going to stimulate muscle protein sensors because people just sip it throughout the day. So you've got this like yeah. habitually higher level instead of actually having a meal and spiking. Um, yeah. Doctor, what was it? Dr. Sims. So stop, I'll put one. Dr. Stacy Sims is also the chief advisor for a supplement company whose one of being brands is bcas which is why i did not know that which is why she's probably promoting them so we've got to look back beyond why she it's the same thing as this whole thing about herbalife oh you know we've got we've got thousands of doctors who promote herbalife it's like yes because they're all directors of your company and they make money off it so you've got to look at that side of stuff as well She's also like been massively debunked within the science community and has very little respect. Um, yeah. I, I, her main the, the claim... Pardon? The reading I did on that, there was a hell of a lot more negative stuff than there was positive stuff, put yeah. it that way. Um, the main claim that she uses, which is smart, but just sort of tedious, is that... And, and true, like there is not a lot of research on females within sport within physiology like a lot of the research that people look at in terms of building muscle muscle protein synthesis etc etc is done on males for various reasons including the fact that we change so much throughout the month now imagine if anyone's ever done any research they'll realize how hard it is to control factors out with the the factors you're looking at um, in terms of an outcome let alone chucking hormones on top then you add on a woman's hormonal cycle on top of that then you add on the fact that women don't menstruate perfectly every month like it isn't a 28 day cycle for most people that's like the average that's the quote-unquote norm most of us aren't within that then you add on the fact that probably half of your study group will be on some form of contraceptive like it's extremely hard to study women okay so there are reasons why women aren't studies as much am i saying that's right and that like no it's like it hopefully we will see more research on women however saying that like there's no point doing shit research like there's no point doing research on a group of women 
when actually we can't draw data from it because their hormonal fluctuations and the fact that half of them are on contraceptive, half of them aren't, and all these factors come into play, which means that when we look at the results, we don't know whether that's because they took BCAAs, for example, or because their hormonal fluctuations were at a different, they were at a different stage of their cycle. It is yeah. very hard to study. However, she jumps on that and she's like, we know nothing about the female physiology. We don't know if these studies translate. We don't know this, this, and this. And then draws conclusions from like out of thin air, basically, about different things. Which oh, is I great. am I going to get a huge amount of hate for doing this? Which, which is great if there's no science behind it. You can pretty much claim whatever the hell you want. Me backing out of the room. <laughs> but it's like Homer <laughs> dropping back into the hedge. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, no. BCA. Yeah, what I would say is anything that she's put out, take with a pinch of salt and yeah. look at the actual research that she's quoting. Sometimes she does put references, but do go to them and have a good look at them. Amelia yeah. and I looked at quite a lot of the stuff that she has been um, that she's been saying about hormonal cycles and like what was that that you need to take leucine at a certain time. I think she was probably talking about tryptophan, but anyway, like there's very little evidence for that. There is yeah. evidence that you will be slightly less insulin sensitive insulin sensitive at certain stages of your cycle. However, yeah. when you look at the magnitude that that is and whether that would be completely negated by for example doing something like a resistance training workout yeah i would probably put like i bet that actually if you're resistance trained your insulin sensitivity would be high enough that it would make no difference if you're resistance trained and lean i'm, I'm pretty sure that your fluctuations in hormonal uh, your hormonal fluctuations are not going to mean that you are significantly insulin resistant to avoid carbohydrates at certain times of your cycle no yeah what's yeah. much more important your adherence and keep it sticking to the sticking to the routine sticking to the protocols exactly mm -hmm. i think we've got two more um first one's quite a simple one when you eat a meal should you aim to eat your protein source first followed by your veg and then your carbs last would this encourage you to feel fuller earlier and possibly due to having leftover carbs of fuel therefore reduce overall calories in your meal or is it the order you eat your meal irrelevant the order that you meet your meal is irrelevant. That's thinking yes, way... Although one thing I will add to that is that there's really cool research. I think it's cool because I love the food volume. Because you're a geek. Yeah, <laughs> and slightly because I'm a geek. But it shows that people who have a salad before they eat their main meal, now obviously the salad can't be like coated in dressing and like goat's cheese and stuff. But yeah. if you have a salad before your main meal, you will eat less at your main meal thus reducing your total calorie consumption so that could be seen as like ordering your meal a little bit like especially Steve. if you're very hungry like sit down eat a salad slow it down and then go on to like the more sort of highly caloric food that you're gonna yeah. eat for your main meal stop when you're full yeah it's you know it's i think it's you know to do that but i think as well just me keeping things simple i don't think you need to worry too much about it but that's what i've been i'm back i'm back this week like properly strictly um, i'm going quite aggressive on my calories and every day this week i've been smart hitting salad is like the number one thing on my first thing on my plate um so and it's making a big difference as well so that's always always a good one yeah um the but last I wouldn't, like imagine if you were like oh i'm gonna eat all my protein first so you like, eat all your chicken some folk will do that though yeah i know but some they have like some 
I don't want to touch anything touching on the plate. Yeah, but I think that's like a form of OCD. Not oh, really. see, that's like proper OCD. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, right, the... There are, there are a couple more. However, we'll get we'll get one more done, and then I'll answer the rest of them on the on the the group. Uh, my dad gave me this horrible newspaper article from the Times about Professor Tim Spector's views on dieting. Uh, I told my dad to ignore it. Is there any truth Stop in the statement? Stop naming people. We're going to get in trouble. Why? It's his, I don't even know. A... I don't even know who that is. But now I'm just no, freaking no, out that no, I've just no. like thrown that lady under the bus. Is there any truth in the statement that fish is bad for us? He says there are so many antibiotics fed to farmed fish that it outweighs the benefit of eating them. I've heard this before about mercury and salmon, but I still eat salmon and cod regularly, and I'm still alive. Bonus. Um, he also said that it is not worth taking any vitamin supplements or even vitamin D, and that omega-3 fish oil has zero impact on heart disease or cancer. Um, hmm. I would love to, to see the research to... I'd love to see. I'd love to see that as well. But we had one popped up in the the EIQ uh, that I that I actually jumped on, which was about um, red about meat and antibiotics and stuff like that. And I think there was a claim the fact that like people were stopping eating red meat because of the amount of hormones and stuff in them. So the the big misconception was that back in like the eighties, they used to use a lot of antibiotics to actually bulk out like for instance beef bull for bulls for beef um which i didn't actually realize that you could use antibiotics as a bulking agent which is pretty impressive um but we use antibiotics and they would also use forms of steroids as well but in towards the late 90s after the sort of B bse so the mad cow disease and the foot and mouth sort of stuff they actually brought in so much more stringent measures on things like to do with farmed farm food like meat and um chicken um beef and fish and stuff so i'd be very very surprised if the amount of antibiotics that are left in the fish is going because these get these there are people there that trace this stuff back so they will go in and they will they have to test every single thing that goes through an abattoir so um if they find anything that whole carcass is chucked so like the whole thing just gets planted um which is you know that's a lot of money if you think about a, a, a cow as a piece of meat if you were to just chuck that out, that's a lot of money wastage. So they have to be very, very stringent on what they do nowadays. Um, so I would probably say that I would say that fish farming is very, very similar. I could probably find that out actually. One of Shona's clients does. Um, he's big in salmon farming, um, so it'd be very interesting. I'll maybe big try deal in the salmon farms. My dad works uh, quite a lot and things like that as well. Yeah. Um, I can't remember something he was telling me now, which was like terrifying, but it was like some, I don't know if it was some other fish that would like eat all of like the skin of the salmon and just like bite. Oh no, maybe it was like a disease they had. Anyway. Have a, it, like a fungus or a... Like yeah, a, but, a but even if you look at like things like that, like you can't, there are such straight, uh, strict rules. I the think EU, especially in our country... Our the UK sits, I think, in number three in Europe on stringency. We are behind, I think, Sweden and Norway on how strict we are with what is in our food, um, which is why I always laugh at this thing about chlorinated chicken coming from America. Chlorinated chicken won't be allowed in from America because the, the stringency policies that the, that the UK has will not probably not. Will, I would very, very be. I'd be very unlikely to, for them to be dropped because of just health reasons. Um, so yeah, I will say, um, antibiotic resistance is scary shit. Yeah, 
So it's it's um, but, but I as think, I say, I, and I mean I hope that the world, the government, whoever sort of like is taking that kind of shit seriously. And I would hope that although a virus is different than a bacteria, that like even just COVID has kind of made people think, fuck, like if we, we need- if we have um, a bacteria that we can't get rid of via antibiotics, like, and it's resistant to all of the antibiotics we have, we're, we're okay. done. And, and it's harder to find new antibiotics than it is to find a vaccine. Yes, and look how hard it's been to create a vaccine for a virus that we know what it is like yeah Yeah, anyway exactly so it is it's a pretty scary it's a pretty scary thing but um yeah it's yeah was that the last question have we got one more um um in the ec method yep she follows you and everything you implement a diet break for one week at the end of the eight weeks, um, up to maintenance. Would you recommend this periodically for us too, even even if it's for regulating BMR, or is it totally specific to each person? Um, I think, well, it is very specific to each person, which is why, like, yes, some of you might have diet breaks, but you would discuss that with Andy or I, like, in a check-in. We wouldn't just blanket give it out to the whole group because it's not applicable to the whole group. So... Yes, diet breaks are a tool we will implement, but only when you yourself and depending on where you are in your journey need it. Yep. yep. All right. Are we done? Actually, one more. If you've missed lunch and don't have time to eat, worst case scenario when I'm in work, should you avoid resistance training and wait for another the next day or still try and see what you can do and eat afterwards? Not sure if this is a daft question. Bring a snack. Have a snack. Like, Bring have a snack. something to eat. Like, grab a protein bar and get your yeah. ass in. Grab a protein bar, a protein shake, just something that you can get yourself tidied over, hit the gym. Um, also, like, it depends as well. as you know, depends on also when it's in the day. If it's, you know, I know lots of folk that train on an empty stomach before uh, early on in the morning. So, um, yeah, it's, again, totally down to personal preference um, and seeing how, try it. If it you feel crap, take a snack, try, try and train then uh, and just try and work around it. Perfect. That was delightful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you all.